You know, this is my first live worship that I've come to since, I guess, March. And it's just a wonderful and glorious um, a, a feel to be together with the brothers and sisters in Christ, be able to sing together, be able to fellowship, be able to talk, although we're keeping our distance. And it's just joyful to do that. And I would pray that, you know, in, in time soon, that things will get better and that we will once again rejoice as we had done before. But once again, I want to say thank you for having us. Thank you for just continuing to love as you have been doing all these years. I want to congratulate the Living Hope Church for the 27th anniversary. What a wonder God has been doing through your church, through the members that are at this church, impacting not only the lives of the people that are here, but also beyond your walls, reaching out now globally, and how the, the, the impact that you are doing is actually making a, a real, real life change. You know, in normal times, your help was tremendous, but even more so in during this time of pandemic, how you are literally making a difference between life and death and how you're impacting their families, especially the children and the families that are in Honduras. And with that, I want to just begin with a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you are doing in and through, continually, through a living church, living hope church, and to the members that are within it, Lord. And you are giving that hope to the people that are being, whose lives are being touched. And I pray, Lord, through today's worship, through the message that you give to us, that you would move the hearts of the people, your saints, your masterpieces, towards the good work that you have prepared for them. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About four years ago, I had the opportunity to, to visit the Museum of the Modern Arts in New York. And there, you know, I'm not really, a, a, like, really well-versed in, in the arts. And except for the few pieces that I know, you know, I'm pretty much like, okay, okay, you know, that kind of thing. And I could probably walk through the whole entire place in maybe 15, 20 minutes as I kind of zoom through. It's like, okay, I've seen that. But I was with some other people, and as I was walking through it, the more I walked, the more I saw, I just couldn't shake the nagging feelings. Like, why is that on the wall? I'm like feeling like, why is that standing there? Like, I could, I could do better than that. Like, if I had to hang those things on my wall, would I? Surely not. I mean, I would surely not pay money for it, let alone maybe if they gave me money, I might. It's that one of those things. I wonder if, you know, how, how it would be for you. But talking about the arts, I want to I begin my sermon today with a, with a painting that I'm going to show you up there. And uh, this painting is not really a well-known one and used to be stored in a basement of all places and collecting dust, you know. And it was priced at around $500. And actually, I think it's better than some of the things or a lot of things I saw at MoMA. And I would gladly hang this one, in fact, you know, more over than the other ones that I had seen. But anyway... It was actually hung on the walls of the Essex County family dining room to the dismay of the many people that were working and eating there. 
They basically said, why do we have to eat our food every day with this painting looking over us? It seems like the patient or whatever is, you know, like, is overcome by bad food. So eventually it was taken down, put into a uh, basement, collecting dust. I wonder, would you put that painting on your wall? Anyway, today's passage, I want to begin today's passage. Um, it's in Ephesians 2.10. It's a very well-known passage, or it should be. Um, Ephesians 2.10. And um, because it's been glossed over, so to speak, by a more famous Ephesians 2.8 and 9, that we don't know this passage as well or even memorize this as, as much as the other one. But this is verse 2.10. It goes like this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, the one before, verse 2, um, chapter 2, verse 2, 8, and 9. This one is the one that says, by grace we have been saved through our faith. It is a gift of God, you know, and so forth, lest we should boast. It's a very well known, the one that many of, many of you had memorized in the past, but because I said earlier that there are th the, the verse 10 makes it three verses, so if you had to memorize two verses as opposed to three, you would choose two. So they memorize the first, the verse 8 and 9, and kind of leave verse 10 out, or don't think about it. And we always talk about it, speak, uh, speak on it, and preach on it, so that again, verse 10 doesn't seem to be as important, especially because verse, uh, verse 8 and 9 talks about our theological basis for which we are saved. It is the grace of God. It is through our faith. And so, yeah, you know, we like it. And that's important. But the one after that, again, is not as, or at least not as recognized. But I want to say today that unless you understand verse 10 and what it stands for, unless you know why it was written there and why it was placed there, verse 8 and 9 doesn't really have as much meaning. We don't really know the reason for which 8 and 9 exist unless you understand verse 10. And that's what we want to talk about today. Verse 10, again, it says, For we are God's, and other translation says, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Now, we want to focus on one verse today. We have a, uh, a, a speaker coming up afterwards as well. So I want to focus on one thing today, and that's the word handiwork or workmanship. In Greek, it's called poema, poema. And it's referring to things that has been made. Or many other uh, Bible translators said as a workmanship, as I read earlier, as in like a, a woodwork created by a carpenter. Or maybe clothes or, or suit made by a tailor. Handiwork, okay? And poema is a word that denotes finished work or, or you know, these kind of thing that has been made, created. But in some Bible translation, they actually use the word masterpiece. You see, a masterpiece is something that a master has created. You know, any, just some, 
you know, unknown person or they made something at a factory or whatever and they have a finished product and you think it's, you know, it's nice or well-made or whatever, you wouldn't call it a masterpiece. You would just call it, oh, it's nice, you know, handiwork. It's a good product, well-made. But if it's created by a master, a known master, then you would actually say, whether it's a painting or woodwork or clothes, you would call it, oh, this is a masterpiece. This is great. For some of you, you know, you might think that iPhone is like that, you know. Like all other phone is just a phone, but iPhone is like iPhone, you know. Well, masterpiece. The painting that I mentioned at the beginning is actually eventually sold off in an auction, and it initially caught, or initial bidding was at 500 But one appraiser had recognized its workmanship and began to recognize that it's something far more than 500. And so the bid rose to $870,000. And in, in the end, eventually it was sold for $1.1 million. It was named, or it, it, it had been named Unconscious Patient, fittingly. It is one of the five paintings painted by the, the painter, uh, the artist, and it, it was to depict the five senses. And this one is showing the smell. The artist's name, can you guys guess? Not the ones who came the first service. The artist's name is Rembrandt. And as a youth, he painted this picture, five of them. And at that time, he was still a novice. He was not a well-known person. But... By now, he's a master. And because now a master had painted it, even those works that had been painted as a novice way earlier on as a, as a young, you know, young person, that painting is considered a masterpiece. And as such, it was eventually later sold to a collector who had the other three paintings. They're still looking for the one. But then, so he bought it for $4.4 million dollars. Because it's a masterpiece. I want you to understand, Living Hope members, that each and every one of you are masterpieces created by God, the master of masters, the God who created the heavens and the earth. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been made clearly seen and being understood from what has been made so that you are without excuse. That word, what has been made, is the same word, poema. And that word poema is talking about God's invisible nature, His supreme power. And all that he can do, the divine natures of him. And that is the, what has been made. And if so, it cannot be merely said, oh, some creation or something that God has, you know, created. No, it is a masterpiece. And each and every you of us, we are masterpieces that we cannot deny. A lot of times we look at each other jokingly or sometimes, you know, with, with meaning. And we talk about how you're good or you're bad or you're tall, you're short or you're ugly or this or that. We can go on and on and on and on and talk about those things. But when it's all said and done, we have been created by someone far greater than Rembrandt can ever become. We are created by the Lord of Lords and God of Gods. 
the master himself. And that is why we are masterpieces. No doubts about it, no questions about it. And not only that, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God had created all things, what did he say? It was good. It was very good. And that's what God thinks of each and every one of you. He knows you to be very good, not just inside but outside as well, not just outside but inside as well. Every bit of you, it is very good. God created it. How could it not be? Especially in the, uh, the fact that we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are priceless, priceless masterpieces that no one could ever deny or counter. But what is more important than the fact that we are masterpieces, that we have been created by God, is the purpose for which we are created as masterpieces. We're not just created so that we can flaunt ourselves, hey, I'm a masterpiece. And be conceited. Hey, I'm a master. I'm better than you. And to live our, our lives just for ourselves. Me, myself, and my family. God wants us to move beyond that. That is why today's passage comes after the other two. That talks about how we are saved by God's grace. Praise the Lord. It talks about how we are you know, saved through our faith. Praise the Lord. But so what? So what that you are saved? So what that you are masterpieces? What for? What's the purpose? And the verse tell, tells us. You are saved by God's grace. You are saved by the faith in Jesus Christ. So what? So that you can do good works. That's the connection. That's the natural outcome of the reason why we are created. The reason why we are alive. Why are you alive? Why are we living? It is because God calls us to do good works. Listen carefully now, lest you misunderstand. It's very important because you know what? I'm not saying that you need to do good works and that you need to be good in order that you become saved. No, we are already guaranteed that. By faith in God's grace, we are already saved. We have salvation. But because we do, God's purpose for our lives is now go forward in doing good works and call to do good works. Paintings are not meant to be left in a basement collecting dust. Especially masterpieces like them, they need to be in a museum for all the world to see. That's the purpose. Likewise, our lives, we are masterpieces. Our lives are not to be, just for, to, to be shared just in our family or just among the members that we know or the friends that we have. It needs to be gone beyond, outside of the walls, outside of our cities. It needs to be impacting, changing lives, making a difference. That's what the masterpiece that we are called to be and to live in our lives. Again, not just for the, 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 uh, the Christians that are in the church, but the neighbors outside of these walls, or those who, you know, the, who even cannot repay us for the goods that we have done for them, or the love that we have shown them. 
A lot of times we do, you know, for people, you know, we scratch their back, they scratch our back. We help them, they help us in, you know, in return. We give them some food and they give us back. You know, not, not just those kind of transactions. But even those, when we do help, they can never pay us back. When we reach out to them and serve them, they can never serve us back. These are the people, especially more so, that we need to reach out to because they're so, the world is so full of them. And we need to reach out. We need to do those good works. When times are tough, church needs to be in the front, leading the destitute, the lost, the disenfranchised towards the path of hope. Okay? And to teach the believers, the members, the masterpieces, what must be done and how it must be done. The church needs to do that. We must live our lives as Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In that sense, I believe that the Living Hope Church had been doing that for many, many years. You're impacting people not only in this church, but in this community, and now going beyond, have been, going, have been doing that for a while. That's what God is calling us to do. You know, many good works can be done. But for today, I just want to say, mention one thing, and that is the good works that leads to eternity. Many, many good things that we can do in this world and, and should be done. But I want to just mention one thing, and that is good thing that leads to eternity. What good is it to feed and clothe only shortly after they will die and they will die eternally. I'm not saying don't do good works. We got to feed, we got to give, we got to close, we got to do all of those things. But when we can focus on those things that connected together will lead to a life change, eternal life change. What good is to give a glimmer of hope? Oh, maybe I can live a better life right now. But without the eternal hope. What good is it to live for 10 more years, 20 more years, when you will die eternally? When we cannot provide the answer to them and for them, for that eternal life, then we have missed it. We have not done good enough. That is why the good works that we do needs to be combined together with the eternal good, eternal life that is out there. The eternal hope of Jesus Christ. But rather than me telling you about all the other things, the good works that we can do, and listen from me second-handed, I'd like to introduce and bring to, uh, to the podium a more who can tell you firsthand of what God's masterpieces have done for her and her family's life. How their help and their love have changed her, her family and her life. And now how she's passing on continuing on that legacy so that you also can join in on that momentum and that legacy of being good masterpieces that are doing good work. Amor, can we all welcome her? Good morning, everyone. First of all, I'd like to... Thank all of you. Thank especially Pastor Steve for inviting me over. And second of all, um, 
Thank you for this sweater. <laughs> um, I came here in the morning wearing a white blouse, but uh, I did not consider the weather. So um, Pastor Steve and Pastor Ben were gracious enough to give me this sweater. And I heard from Pastor Ben that I'm the first person to wear this. So, so nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I remember I came here in 2018, January, and I shared to you my story. And today I have another opportunity to share a little bit more of who I am and um, stories of other people, other children, um, that God changed their lives through compassion. Um, years back, I read a book by Gary Chapman. And he titled his book, uh, Love is a Verb. And to be honest, I, I bought the book because of the title. Isn't it a good title? Love is a verb. Love is not just something that we feel. Love has to be something that we do. And aside from sharing with you stories, I would also share with you two reasons why we should love. And while I was reading Gary Chapman's book, I was reflecting to the question, Amor, how far would you go to show your love? And I'd like to invite all of you to also reflect on that question. How far would you go to show your love? For those of you who are not here two years ago, uh, hi, my name is Amor. I was born and raised in southern Philippines in a city called Davao. And since the last time I was here, I was able to find good materials that I could share with you. I found a photo of my childhood home. I have a picture to share with you, and it's very interesting because this screenshot, I actually took it um, just a couple of weeks ago. And this house is the exact same house I remember 30 years ago. It looks exactly the same. Um, I lived in a shack, and our house was built with spare materials. Our roof was, was tin roof, and we did not have ceiling inside. So in hot summer days, um, it gets really hot inside our house. So all the children will be outside playing in the streets instead of staying inside the house. And if our roof is not good, our floor is actually worse. There's holes here and there. And if you peek through the holes, what you can't see in this picture is that our house was built on a sewer. So if you peek through the holes of our floor, you will be able to see the sewer water. And then I have another picture here. That's the picture of my community. That yellow circle there, that's my house. And a few steps from my house is a public cemetery. And what you need to know about Philippines is Philippines has two seasons, the summer and the rainy season. And in the rainy season, the sewer water overflows and the public cemetery gets flooded. And our house, for my sister and I, becomes instant swimming pool. For me and my sister, it was so exciting. I mean, who gets to have instant swimming pool at home, right? But my, for my parents and I, it was so terrible. I just became a parent last year in February. And as a parent, you would like to give what's best for your children. And during that time, my parents couldn't. I remember every year I hear news of deaths, especially during rainy season, because of diseases like um, leptospirosis, something that you get, a disease that you get from 
from rats and cockroaches. My parents were scared not only for their health, not only for our health, but for our lives. And even in that living situation, we still had to pay $6 every month for rent. So finally, when I turned five, my parents moved closer to the city where we did not have to worry about floods like this. But moving closer to the city did not mean living, living a, a better life. Yes, our family is now far from, from uh, diseases, but now it's a different kind of poverty. When I gave birth, um, my baby was bottle-fed. And then when I was making a formula for him for the first time, I was so shocked with the, with the formula to water ratio. So I had to ask the nurse, are you sure you're supposed to put one scoop of formula into only two ounces of water? Because I remember really clear that my sister and I would have eight ounces of warm water in each of our cups and we would share one tablespoon of powdered milk. On, on, if we get lucky and my mother would leave before breakfast, we would sneak and, and get one more scoop of milk. Not too much, because she will know. My mom knows how much milk there is in the jar. It felt like we were stealing. And if I look back to it, it's actually such a sad story, because it felt like we were stealing something that was essential in a child's development, that, that was essential in a child's growth. Poverty followed us from our old house to our new one, showing itself in a different form from disease to hunger, but it's still the same enemy, poverty. If you are in the same situation for too long, what you are and what you have and do not have becomes your identity. Poverty became my identity. I was the daughter of the woman who had so many debt. I was the daughter of the man who could not provide for his family. I was that student who could not submit her projects on time because she was poor. I was poverty. And as I was wrestling with my identity, compassion came in. And they taught me the gospel. You know what I learned? That I was priceless. That I, just like all of you, am also a masterpiece. That God, that Jesus died for me. I could not understand that. Why would God, powerful, self-sufficient, king of all kings would come down from his throne and live like a poor person, live to be persecuted and to die and to overcome the grave, to die for me. I felt this little. Why would he die for this speck? I asked my teachers. I asked my pastors. One of the things that I really value from compassion was the Bible that I received when I was eight. I still have it until now because that Bible taught me the truth. I asked my pastor about God's love. I asked my teachers and my mentors. I could not understand why God would do that. And then finally one day, my mind, my heart, my eyes were open. The first reason why we should love is we love 
because God loved us first. Romans 5.8 5, 8 says, Christ died for us while we were still, still sinners, and by this, God showed how much he loved us. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because he wanted to show that he loved us, and he loved us that much. Isn't it amazing? God showed his love to us in the most extravagant way possible. God showed us that, you know, God could have just said, I believed that God could have just said, you know, I will save you more and you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. But no, he had to show it because that's how we would believe it. When I learned about that truth, you know what I realized? When I learned that God, the, the God whose words made the universe, the God whose whose words created the most beautiful things that we see around us, is the same God who loves me and cares for me so much, I realized that money will be nothing for him. That he will be able to provide for me no problem. And not only that, God showed me love in a different way by, by giving me my sponsors. I have a picture of them to show you. My first sponsor is a young man from Australia. He was 23 when he sponsored me. Um, I was six when he sponsored me, and then he sponsored me for 10 years. He sponsored me until I was 16. My second sponsors were, is this couple from, from Hawaii, and they sponsored me. They had three children, three daughters. No, actually, they had four daughters because they called me their fourth daughter. I became part of their family. This love is the love that showed me that, that love has no boundaries, not language, not race, not culture, not even distance. You can, you can show love from afar. The love that these people showed me, my sponsors, my teachers, my pastors, my mentors, encouraged me so much that my, my cup overflowed. I wanted to sponsor Compassion Children too, but how could I do that? I did not know. I was a poor girl. I can, I can tell the children that they are loved, but I did not have the financial capabilities, but I had the desire. I wanted to tell, I wanted to show love to, to a child who needs to know that he's worth loving, to a child who needs to know that, that he's precious. I wanted to tell that child not to, you know, to hang in there, because you know what, I was once like you. And then now, I am no longer pressed by poverty into believing that I am nothing. Because now I know that I am precious. Wes Stafford, the former president of Compassion said, never be ashamed of your roots in poverty. Hold your heads high. You may have been born in poverty, but poverty is not born in you. No matter how high God lets you climb, never forget to be grateful. Reach back and bring others along with you. One by one, as we do that, we will change the entire world. God granted me the desire of my heart. He gave me enough so that now I could reach back and bring others with me. God allowed me to sponsor six compassion children, and I would like to introduce them to you one by one. My first child, his name is Rick. Rick, at the age of 10, already had two sponsors cancel on him, and he already lost the hope that somebody will love him. 
but my husband and I decided to keep Rick and to keep sponsoring him until he no longer needs us. In 2018, Rick got his bachelor's degree in biology, and now he's in law school. One day he will become a lawyer. Our second child, Shira, he was, she was four in this picture. Shira is now working to get her bachelor's degree in education. She is in the university. Our third child, Angel. Angel is such a very shy little girl. You can see in this picture. In 2019, she got her bachelor's degree in psychology. And every time I see this picture, I see a picture of her, I see her graduation picture. I see a victory. Victory not only for Angel being released from poverty, not only for her family, but even for me. It's not just her graduating. It's one child being released from poverty in Jesus' name. Our youngest, John Simon, <laughs> isn't this such a cute picture? He almost died when he was young. He was a blue baby. He had a hole in his heart, significantly big. He could have died, but because of compassion, he was able to see good heart doctors, and now he's as healthy as he could ever be. He could run faster than me, maybe. <laughs> and our new addition to the family, Danica, um, I sponsored her because she grew up in the church where I grew up, where I was sponsored. In fact, Danica was my student when I was in Davao. <laughs> so now we have a different kind of relationship, and that's, I'm so excited to see and hear from her and know how... God is moving in her life. Now, our only non-Filipino child, her name is Hepsi. She's Indian. And I would like to share my time with you with her story because her story is a story of love in action. My husband, he used to work for Compassion Korea. His job was like Pastor Moon. He would take sponsors to, to Compassion Partner countries um, to show them how Compassion is working. And um, my Husband went to southern India on top of a mountain, and that's where Hepsi's community is. Hepsi and all of the children were so happy to see my husband and the, the visitors. They've never seen Koreans. That was their first time. And so Hepsi did not speak a lot of English. And so he would just, she would just hold my husband's hand, and she would just give him a smile. But one thing that made Hepsi outstanding is this. She was doing something that my husband found odd. My, my Hepsi would come to my husband carrying a baby just like this, and she would go, Uncle Brian, his name is so-and-so, and he's also poor. Okay. 30 minutes later, she would come back with another baby, a baby girl. Uncle Brian, her name is so-and-so, and she's also poor. Okay. 30 minutes later, another baby, she's going to be holding a toddler. Uncle Brian, his name is so-and-so, and he's also poor. Now my husband has to know the story why, right? <laughs> Aren't you curious? Um, my husband asked the teacher, why is she doing that? And then the teacher told Hepsi's story. Hepsi was picked at the dumpster. And one thing that you need to know about Hepsi's community, they are very exclusive. That means they don't welcome outsiders. The problem is, Hepsi was found at a dumpster from another village. Everybody was so upset. The town leaders went to their house and told them to take the baby to the forest and just leave her there. 
I don't know, to get cold, to die, to let the animals eat her. I don't know. They just don't want Hepsi in the community. But I am so thankful that Hepsi's parents said they will keep Hepsi. But because of that, they were shunned by the community. They were excommunicated. They were considered as nobodies. Now, Hepsi became the daughter of the outcasts, being an outcast herself. Do you see the story here? The reason why Hepsi was taking children to my husband is because she thought my husband could help these children. By that time, by the way, Hepsi was not sponsored. She could have easily told my husband, Uncle Brian, I don't have a sponsor. Could you sponsor me? But instead, she took kids with her because she knew how it felt to be lonely and to be unwanted by everyone, to be a nobody. Hepsi grew up, grew up like that until one day, God redeemed the community. Compassion's partner, Compassion partnered with the only church in that mountain, and Hepsi was registered and now her her family was welcomed in the community again and hepsi felt the love that she only once received from her parents she was loved by her teachers by her pastors she is now playing with kids her age isn't that amazing the second reason why we should love is because god commanded us to show love in John 13, 34 to 35, it says, So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And I would like to make an emphasis on the last line. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are commanded by God as believers, as his disciples, to show love just like Hepsi showed her love in the best way she could. You could never be too weak or too poor or too young to show love. So now let me ask you, how far would you go to show your love? There's only two ways to make love a verb. It's either you receive them or you give them. If you haven't received God's love, this is the perfect time. You could not delay it because God's love is the greatest love that you and I could ever have. The second um, way to make love a verb is to receive, uh, to, to give love. And I know that lots of you have already been sponsoring Compassion Children. You might have met them already. You might meet them one day or you might not meet them at all. But on their behalf, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. You do not know the impact that you have in their lives. For those of you who are still thinking of of, of who are curious, you could go to livinghopecc.org, and there's a link there that says Love Honduras, and there's pictures of 36 children that you can sponsor. And for $38 a month, you could change someone's life. You could do it today. Thank you so much for listening to our stories. May God bless your Sunday, and may you feel God's love today. Thank you.